This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are rapidly becoming really good investors. (laughs) 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 I'm, I'm not kidding. We're actually... Seeing so many people listening to this podcast are becoming better and better investors, which is really fun because we're essentially trying to teach you the way Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger invest, the way Manesh Prabhai does it, the way Guy Spear does it. And I mean, we're taking liberties here because none of these guys said, oh, yeah, you're definitely teaching the way I do it. Yeah. But I think we're close. And, and you can read their books and you'll see that we're in the ballpark of being able to pick individual companies, what, just pick a few of them. Warren Buffett once said, all you got to do is pick maybe 20 in your lifetime. And if as long as you don't violate rule number one, which is to not lose money, four or five of those will turn out to be wonderful investments and will make you rich. It's, it's, I mean, it's really that simple. Uh, honestly, it's really that simple. So <laughs> what are we doing talking about all this for years yeah, now? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we laugh. We we laugh when Charlie says, "Really, there's just four things: you got to be capable of understanding the business, you got to have a moat, you got to have good management, and you got to have a, a margin of safety, and that's it." And the reason they don't teach it in college is because whatever, what, what, what would they do the rest of the semester? And now you've learned it in day one in five minutes. But fortunately, I think for those of us who've learned this, and maybe unfortunately for everybody who hasn't. There's actually a substantial amount of effort involved in in understanding those four simple things. That that's the truth of it. Yeah, I think effort and joy to be honest. Like it's what somebody said once, nothing worth having came easy. And I think this stuff is simple, but it's not easy and it's a huge amount for me. I I don't know. I mean, I'm amazed to be honest, but there's a huge amount of joy that I've found in the difficulty within those simple ideas. I mean, just Charlie at the last daily journal meeting, um, when we talked about this a bit was talking about the mistakes he's made and investments he wished he had made and, uh, and things he had missed out on. And, um, and for somebody who is nine, what is he? Ninety something. I think he's pushing ninety five or ninety six. Wow, I mean, he's up there. He's doing really well for that age. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Totally lucid, brain working totally fine, body failing him a little bit, but at ninety five, that's to be expected. Um, so for him to be thinking about those things, even having done this for let's say seventy years. I just think it shows how much joy there is in the difficulty of it. I agree. I I, I think it's worth it's a I, I love your concept of practice. I'd never heard that before applied to uh, my my industry, but the practice of investing implies 
a joy in the process of learning something that's difficult. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's like, that's true. Yeah. Good point. It's like a, a like when we first remember when you were a little kid and, and we started to learn snowboarding together, mm-hmm. that it was h- hard, but it was fun, right? Right. And I mean, we padded ourselves. Well, all I was about to say pads. it was fun because we didn't really get hurt because we used all this foam padding. All we did. <laughs> we literally, <laughs> by the way, anybody learning to snowboard, this is highly recommended by the town family. If you buy yourself a computer or any sort of thing that is fragile and it comes in foam packaging, save the foam packaging and then simply take it out of the box, cut it carefully to the shape of your booty, and then tape that foam packaging <laughs> onto your clothes, but underneath your snowboarding pants, <laughs> such that you look like Kim Kardashian. And, <laughs> and you will enjoy and you the will. learning to snowboard process. You'll have a little tiny waist and a great big booty. Yeah. And also wear wrist guards. Happy. If you have wrist guards and padding on your butt, you're going to be super happy learning snowboarding. Yep. So that's what we did. So that's what we did. And and it was fun from day one, and it continues to be fun to, to learn. And it's a sport I'll never master, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, it's so much joy. And And by the way, you get to be pretty good pretty fast. It's like you get you get a lot of joy out of it when you can get pretty good pretty fast, and I think that that's true about this uh, investing. Is you can get pretty good pretty fast. You're not going to be Warren Buffett, but you're going to be competent relatively quickly um, because there's, as Charlie said, there's only a few things you really have to do. And if we add one more thing to that, which is we're, we're certainly not dreaming this up. This is Charlie 101. Is that you have to be patient. And that patience, that that willingness to do nothing until you're quite comfortable and quite sure that you're doing the right thing, that combination of doing nothing plus learning the basic rules will make you successful, I think, with a high degree of probability. I think you you really, as long as you be, be patient and wait around until something comes at you that's pretty easy to understand... Uh, you're going to be successful with this and you're going to make money. So let's talk about that because in the waiting comes not doing stuff, not not buying companies that you might otherwise buy, not buying the house down the block that you might otherwise buy, not buying businesses. You're doing nothing, right? And right. in that experience of doing nothing comes maybe missing out on something that could have been a really big winner. A really good investment. Yes. yes. And that's what we all are afraid of. We're afraid of losing money by buying something stupid that goes down. And we're afraid of losing money by not actually doing anything at all. Both of those things are true. Both of those things make us feel fearful as we learn. And, and, right. and for experts, frankly. Well, to not... Okay, to push the metaphor ridiculously... Okay. <clears throat> We're, we're now snowboarding, and you'll remember there was a point in time where you could traverse across the side of the mountain on one edge on your snowboard, mm-hmm. while other people who not a snowboard <clears throat> were making lots of lovely turns down the mountain, while you're 
just crossing the the whole hill and very and trying to turn. You remember this part? Would you, okay, for sure. Okay, I'm going to turn now. Okay, I'm going to turn. Okay, I'm going to now. I'm almost going to do it. And all of that hesitation, you maybe avoid. You maybe don't turn when it would have been really easy to turn. If you, Does that make sense? Yeah, if you like knew how to turn well. Because you're afraid right? to turn. It's like you haven't made any turns yet, so you're starting to be afraid to turn. Yeah. So what a good snowboard instructor does is it gets you on a, a, a really gentle part of the hill, and they make it so that your speed is very slow. In other words, they 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 in our investing world, you're just going to be very patient and wait for something... That's super, super easy. <clears throat> and the time to do that when you're going to pull the trigger is when, you know, we've had a big recession or, or something like that. Is, is, it, is a time when all the stocks go down. Then, then mm. it's so, the hill is very low mm. and you can make that little turn. And we're coming up on a time like that, I think, pretty soon now. So this is a good time to learn to do this stuff. But meanwhile, if we're to use that metaphor, You've missed out on all this fun of all these other turns you, you could have been making. And that's the, the, the sort of agony of not, of, of not being that confident or being fearful or the agony of patience um, to wait until you're just dead certain you're not making a mistake is you are going to miss some things that a, a better investor would have taken up on. Yeah. And those are those are painful. Those are so painful that Charlie still remembers many of them. Yeah, exactly. In his his, his investing career. And so you think so that's yeah, just that's gonna just going to happen. Yeah, it's going to it's going to happen for sure and it's never going to stop happening. Your mistakes if you do this right, your mistakes are going to be mistakes of omission. Hmm. If you do it right, you will not have very many mistakes of commission. You won't have made mistakes where you lose money. The mistakes hmm. are going to be, oh, man, I saw it. It was right there. And I just didn't have the confidence to pull the trigger. And it went up 800%. Yeah. Yes. 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 Oh, you've got one like that, do you? Yeah, already? I've got one. Well, you should have. If you're doing it right, you should have <laughs> one Can already. Can I tell you about it, though? Because I'm not actually 100% sure it, whether it was a mistake or not. And I've been really debating it um, because I think, you know, especially as somebody learning, but for the whole life of investing and having an investing practice, I think we have to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves about our mistakes because if we avoid noticing that we made a mistake then how can we be sure we won't do that particular one again which would be even worse than making it the first time so right. i just think this is so important to me to make sure i really understand what i've done wrong but in this particular case I just can't decide if I screwed up or not. So I want to tell you about it. So this is Lululemon. Okay. Stock yeah. symbol is Lulu. L-U-L-U. -L -U. And I'm sure you guys have all heard me talking about Lululemon at this point. Basically, they make, in their core, they make yoga clothes. That was their original um, 
reason for existing. Now they also make yoga clothes for women, I should say. Now they also make lots of running clothes, lots of clothes for other kinds of sports, but running and yoga are kind of their main ones still. And they make men's clothes, which have been extremely successful lately. And I really like them. And they also make a whole girls line, which is super cute, but has not done as well actually lately. So Lululemon was one of the first companies I looked at when you first started teaching me about investing because you said, what stuff do you like? And I said, yoga. And we looked at Lululemon immediately. And I bought their clothes. I still buy their clothes. I loved their clothes. I still love their clothes. And, uh, and I, I looked at it back then and they were going through some problems then. It was essentially a classic rule one event where there, so this was back in like, when did we look at like late 2015, let's say 2016 ish. Um, and their CEO at the time was their founder, who was this guy who obviously created the whole brand, which is very like all about living your best life and being, uh, uh, having a yoga kind of life outside of just yoga class and, um, and really pioneered these certain fabrics that they use for the pants and, uh, and like cute jackets. And obviously I just love the stuff that they make. So he did all that, but he also was kind of a jerk and said a lot of mean stuff about women's bodies and, um, finally got ousted from his own company because he said a couple of really bad things, which I think was a good thing that he left. So then they hired, so at all this, at this point, I was like, okay, I love the company, but I can't tell what's going to happen in the future with it. First of all, here are my reasons. One, it's kind of a fashion company, as in they come out with new styles regularly. And if people don't like those styles, they're not going to buy them. And I'm always wary of fashion companies because I don't know what they're going to be making, not even 10 years from now, not even five years from now. I don't know what they're going to be making next season. And I don't know if people are going to like it. And I don't know if I'm going to like it. So that gives me great pause about fashion companies. And so I looked at Lulu. I thought, I don't know who they're going to get to replace this guy who was the founder, this incredibly charismatic founder who took the company from nothing to what it became. Who are they going to get that's going to be able to replace him despite all of his problems? Um, What if this new management team changes the styles or changes the fabrics or changes what I love about Lululemon? And I just felt like I couldn't totally predict the future of that company. So I was literally there. I distinctly remember walking by the Lululemon store in Boulder, Colorado going, Oh man, I sure do love that store. <laughs> should I should I buy their stock? And I just didn't feel confident enough about it. So, that was an omission. I did not act. Now, was it a mistake? Should I tell you what's happened since then? <laughs> yeah, tell me. So what's happened since then is they've gone through two CEOs, actually. They're on their second. So they hired somebody um, to replace the founder. And he lasted until 
mid-2018, I want to say. And then he was actually dismissed for some kind of mysterious uh, misconduct, which the company is not talking about and actually framed it as him resigning, but there's lots of questions around it. So clearly something happened there and they got rid of him. However, in the meantime of him being the CEO, the company's stock has risen, what is it, like three times? Something like that? Well, ballpark from, let's call it 60 bucks, yeah. roughly, when we were looking at it. Up to like um, 160. <laughs> 170 right now? No, no, no. I mean, until mid-2018. Oh, until mid-2018. It went up to like got, 160 canned. Yeah, yeah, it was at 160 Yeah. So he, I mean, he kept everything the same in the company as far as the culture of the stores. Like to a consumer, to me, to an outsider, it all seemed like they were really doing well with this transition and uh and and coming out with different you know new men's lines and at the same time not losing the stuff that women like me love about lululemon so then they canned him and they just hired this guy who came from sephora he was five years at sephora and took sephora through um sephora americas through going digital and having the Sephora stores be much more connected to their website and to their mobile app. Sephora has done insanely well in that amount of time. And I can tell you that as a consumer, as well as an investor. And I'm just really impressed with, um, with the way his name's Calvin McDonald, with the way he led that company. So now he's at Lulu and there's a whole team of new people and they kind of in a way cleaned house a little bit for whatever was going on with this secret misconduct. Um, and I'm kind of optimistic and they, their men's lines have been doing, they've been talking a lot about expansion. Their men's lines have been doing really well. They're expanding into what they call self-care, which is their skincare line because you know, you go to the, you go to your yoga class or to the gym and you're all sweaty and you want to use some products that are going to work well with what you're wearing. And so they think, okay, like people are coming in to buy cute tops. They'll also buy face wash that is perfect for after the gym, which makes total sense to me. And frankly, I totally want to try it. And, um, and they've got a girl's line. So they've got all these expansion ideas. They've opened new stores. I don't know. So I guess my point is... I totally missed out on this whole thing, but I don't think that I could have predicted it. What do you think? Okay. So we come back just always to the basics, right? Um, understand the business. Does it have a moat? Do you trust the integrity of the management? And can you buy it on sale? Can you, which requires that you figure out what the thing's worth roughly. So if we're to break this kind of back down. Well, I wasn't even um, like, look, okay, we can talk about the price. I wasn't even like really looking at the price, although I knew that it was kind of on the lower side because of these issues they were having. So let's, let's break it down. I mean, first off, can you, un, are you capable of understanding the business? Do you feel yes. confident that you, yeah, okay. It's not, not a critically hard business to understand. It's retail. It's retail. They um, use comparable stores. I'm familiar with it. Same kind of. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And I totally yeah. understand what they sell. So without getting into everything you have to know about being the owner of a retail clothing mm-hmm. line, um, it's something you could, you could get a grip on, I think, if you work at it. So then the next question is, okay, great. So now what's the moat? What, what's the intrinsic characteristic of this company that protects it from competition? Why can't Nike, Under Armour, Ralph Lauren, Gap, you know, why, why can't the rest of the world look at the fabric and copy it and put those exact clothing lines into their stores. I know, but they haven't. So it's a brand moat. So they have a brand moat. Are you saying that they have a secret? Oh, sorry, yeah, that they have a secret moat as well. I that not, they have some kind of patent. They do not have patents no on patent. their fabrics. No. So I don't okay. know. I think the other companies probably are trying to copy it, but they're not succeeding. And I don't well, see anybody else that, with the that same people kind don't of... wear anything other than Lululemon to go to yoga class. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying, or you see leggings everywhere, which is I don't know. Maybe Lululemon invented the whole fashion movement of wearing leggings. I have no idea, but leggings are everywhere. Are they all Lululemon leggings? No. What I'm saying is that when I try other leggings on, I don't like them as much. Okay. So why that is, why companies aren't just fully copying them, I don't know. Maybe they think they have better leggings, but not for me. Okay, good. So they're, that's a brand mode. Yeah. All right? I mean, that's like me going, I prefer a Chipotle burrito to a McDonald's burger. Or, or to a make it even Q-Doba. clearer, I prefer a McDonald's burger to a Burger King. Or Right? Right. I mean, they're just leggings and... For whatever reason, Burger King's decided it wants to make burgers this way, and Nike wants to make le- leggings that way, right? Exactly. You, you see the parallel? Yep, exactly. Okay. So that's a brand moat. Right. But it's not that's, It's not secrets. That's important. Not secrets. And brand moats are, are wonderful, but difficult to really hold on to for long periods of time, particularly in fashion. Hmm. Right? So Nike's managed to sustain a brand moat in its shoes. Um it's, you know, Coca-Cola sustains a brand moat, um, so, but, but Coca-Cola has advantages. If you're saying right now that it's fashion, then we need to talk about that because that's where I think I made the mistake. I Well, I mean, isn't it fashionable to wear leggings to yoga class instead of shorts or wear leggings down the street instead of pants? Isn't that fashion? Oh. Is that something that could change over time? Um, no, because I don't think it really matters if people wear them on the street or not. What matters is what you wear when you're exercising. The wearing them on the street is just because they look cool. That's all. So that could change. But you can just change your clothes after the gym. It's not a big deal. So, no, I think the reason I thought they were fashion is that they do come out with new styles. But they don't come out with new styles actually that often. And I can still buy, like I have these certain tops that I really like to buy and I have certain leggings that I really like to buy and I just buy new ones like every year or so. And they always have the same ones. They've had the same ones for years. They haven't changed these styles. So they do bring in new ones every now and then. Like I just got these really cool, <laughs> now I'm like advertising for Lululemon. <laughs> I just got these really cool <laughs> jogger pants that I'm obsessed with. 
I highly recommend the very. Let me jump in. I think we get the idea. So, so you're, you're not interested in my jogger pants um, because I'm just going to call it fashion because because Melissa loves Ralph Lauren stuff, or she has, and I don't know if Ralph's still designing, but she's all through his career. She really liked his kind of designs, right? Mm-hmm. They just kind of worked for her. And it wasn't like they were changing in any gigantic way. They were pretty similar designs for a long, 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 long time. Ralph Lauren Polo. And so fashion doesn't mean it's changing all over the place. It, it means that there's a certain style to it. And um, you really like it. You like that brand. It fits you. It fits your body. fits the way you life. fits the lifestyle projection you're making, whatever it is that, about brands. Mm. The reason I'm putting it in that category. So we want to be able to, in order to make a decision about what to do about this company, one of the things we have to do is figure out, you know, what industry are they in? Where are they, mm. where are they competing? Because we're going to try to figure out what their motives. We better know what industry we're in. If we're going to, in other words, if we were going to start a clothing company and make really cool legging pants or whatever we call those things, little lemon types things, we'd want to understand our industry pretty well. Like who, yeah. Why do we think we can do well here? Well, because Nike is ignoring this completely, and so is everybody else, and nobody's in here at all whatsoever, and we can make a really high-quality thing here, and um, people are going to love it. And so we go after that niche. Okay, so I don't think Lululemon and Ralph Lauren are in the same industry like at all, except in the sense that they both make clothes. But I do think that if there's like a fashion athletic apparel industry, then I guess Lululemon would be in that. So they're in athletic apparel and their competitors are Under Armour, um, Athleta slash Gap, um, Nike. uh, Who else makes yoga stuff and running stuff? All those kinds of things. Okay. So first thing is we have to decide can they compete against these other guys and continually to compete? And let's say, let's just say that we really like them and we understand why we're buying their stuff. And we may not be very sure why, you know, McDonald's doesn't make a burger the way Burger King does, but we like Burger King. And this company is the only Burger King game in town. And so, yeah, they, they have a moat. They have a brand moat that they can sustain for a long period of time. Yeah, I definitely think so. Oh. And what I what I thought oh, okay, then cool. was their moat has been damaged and it might change, but that has proven not to come true. Right. Okay. So then the next step is, all right, good. So we've got the first two boxes checked, although we have to do more homework. The third box is management. And here we have a problem in 2016. Mm-hmm. The founder, the person with the passion, the person with the the concept... The founder has been fired and is actually in a war. Yeah. He's written open letters company. <laughs> about the company right. being in danger. Right. Yeah. Okay. So this violates one of our four things <laughs> that we have to have right. We now have lost our founder and we have a new CEO coming in. And we simply don't have a way to judge this CEO, this performance. So this is a big red flag in determining whether you want to buy this business or not. Tell me because, about the my red gosh, flag. The CEO is rather important. Okay, go what's, ahead. What's the red flag there? A new CEO? The brand new CEO and firing the old one. 
Those two are both red flags. So, the fire in the old one is a question of 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 brand sustainability because yeah. yeah, I mean, holy smokes, this guy made some really serious statements about who he wanted to have wearing those clothes. Right. And and that was shocking. All right. <clears throat> so that may have been a terrible brand uh destruction and you just don't know right there how that's going to roll out so that's a huge red flag yeah exactly created by the ceo exactly and then the new ceo is an automatic huge red flag okay so but that really a new ceo mm-hmm. is an automatic red flag it's not an automatic no to the to the investment but red flags are something what i mean by red flag is something i really have to dig into and understand deeply and so then the question becomes, how important to the g- future growth of this company is the CEO in the first place? Or is the brand so good that it can roll through a mediocre CEO? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at a company like this, where they, if they just keep doing the same thing they're doing the market size might not be big enough to grow very much. If you're talking about being in the exercising marketplace, it might be a relatively small space. If you're talking about competing against companies that make athletic apparel, you're talking about Nike, you're talking about a rather large space. Yeah. Okay. But Lululemon at that point in time was just starting to kind of be in that athletic apparel world, right? They were they came out of a very specific yoga thing. Oh, Am I wrong about that? I see what you're saying. You're saying that that just yoga, only yoga clothing and like mats and whatever else they made for yoga is not the same as being the larger athletic apparel kind of company that now they're talking about becoming. Right. Got it. And got in it. general, we would say get a little company that's uh, got a little niche in yoga. As soon as their niche gets big enough, you know, then Nike is going to step in there and squash them. Yeah, and can they expand other kinds of sports? Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So now you have the brand trying to expand and a new CEO is going to try to do it. And those are two very big unknowns. So big that when we ask our fundamental question, which is that will this company be bigger in 10 years? I think in 2016, you were right. It would be impossible to know for sure. Hmm. Hmm. I just don't think you could know that. I don't know how you would know that. I didn't know either. It just didn't seem predictable enough. But I find that maddening. (laughs) Well, for someone who is deep in the industry, maybe, right? An expert snowboarder on this what is appearing to be a black diamond hill (laughs) rather than, right, just a little beginner run, Mm -hmm. this looks like a steep hill. This may be something that an expert could negotiate. They they could find their way through it. They know enough about the business and the moat and and what this company has going for it and who the buyers are and... But boy, you'd really have to be a pretty, pretty good expert to make a decision at that point in time that this new CEO is going to blow the roof off, which he did. He did. And, and when he was named and he used to be at Tom's Shoes and he was speaking of snowboarding, he was at Burton Snowboards. Um, but Tom's Shoes being the main like 
you know, check mark on the, okay, this guy probably understands what Lululemon is all about. I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to do really well. Like this company's going to go far. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Red flag maybe, but. So there would have been there in my, in my world, that would have been okay. If I knew what you know about Tom's shoes and I kind of like, I would say, okay, this, this is a risky biz. Hmm. There's a lot of uncertainty here, um, but we do have a good track record. I'm in love with their products. I totally understand why people are buying them. The The price, um, I have to make a determination about here. But in general, I could see putting this company into that part of the portfolio. I'm not going to take mm-hmm. 25% of my portfolio and stick it in here. Mm-hmm. But I might come in and buy um, 1% or 2% of my portfolio into this and, and look at it deeply from that point. So the reason that you wouldn't go 25% in is because why? Because I'm not comfortable with management. There's no way I can be. Okay. And I'm not comfortable the moat's not broken. Okay. Because I'm thinking like, how do I compare this to Chipotle, which also got a new CEO who to me seemed quite reliable. But you never know, right? He's not. He's new. Well, excellent. Excellent way to think about this. So, again, we have <clears throat> two companies we're capable of understanding. You, yoga, and me, burritos. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have um, a moat question. One is a brand moat. The other one, uh, the Chipotle moat was definitely a brand moat. But... They have secrets, and they didn't follow through on management practices, which is where their secrets were, on management practices to provide fresh gourmet food every day in every restaurant exactly safely. They failed to do that. They had a problem. It created a huge event. So these, these, this management practice is so difficult to do, to execute properly, that the other direct competitors, companies like Moe's, Cadoba, um, that are out in the burrito business haven't even begun to try to get that big. Mm. They just, That's true. it's That's just true. hard. Yeah. And they certainly haven't tried to do it with all natural ingredients. Right. So th- they, Chipotle had this little extra thing going for it that maybe, maybe there's some quality of that to the, to the, to the story for, uh, for Lululemon, but I'm not positive there is. So the, but in any case, we get to the management. Mm-hmm. Now here's a big difference. Um, I think it's, is it, it's L's David, I think it's Dave L's anyway, the CEO and founder of the company was still there. Of which company? Of Chipotle. Oh yeah. Yeah. He wasn't booted and he's the passion. He's the, he's the guy that created this niche with the passion to make it happen. And they were looking for somebody. They they brought in an operations guy, and he was the on his watch is where the management problem happened that caused E. coli. And they were looking, and then Els came back in and took back over true. full control totally operations. True. Yeah, yep. So I'm like, yes, thumbs two thumbs up for There's that. There's a guiding hand here. Yeah, yeah you're totally right a guiding about that. Hand. I forgot. A deeply experienced, big track record, super predictable guiding hand. 
that came back in off the bench. And Same the thing that happened with Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. When Schultz, Schultz came back into Starbucks True. after it had some hiccups. Same thing with Apple when Jobs came back into Apple. So when we see that happening, I, my confidence goes up that things are going to be under control. That's not what we had happen in, in Lululemon. No. No. That's a different story. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we go to the final thing, which is ultimately we've got a couple of red flags up on whether we want to own the company at all. And then we take a look at valuation. So if, we, if we're not real sure where it's going to be in 10 years, the valuation exercise is kind of moot. I mean, it's like you don't really know where it's going to go, but you could kind of do a best case thing and say, well, worst case is it crashes and burns, all right? Mm-hmm. But best case, let's make a valuation analysis. And number one thing going for them on their numbers, if I recall, I haven't looked at it for a long time, but I don't think they had any debt. No, no debt. I think they were debt free, which is very much like Chipotle, which gives me a huge boost in confidence that this thing isn't going to go down. I mean, maybe I could lose some, but not all. Okay, so that's good. And then I'm looking out 10 years and... With Chipotle, it was really easy to look out 10 years and make a sort of, you know, reasonable case. But we can't do that with Lululemon because we don't know for sure what's going to happen to it. Wait, so wait, now wait. we just got to take a best so guess. So are you talking now in 2016 or are you talking now in 2019? Yeah, let's say 2016. Okay. So 2016, we, we we have a lot of trouble really getting a bead on where things are going to be in 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's That's the mm-hmm. catch. So that backs us away from it. But if we wanted to, we could make a rough approximation of, of value if we assume things go well. If yeah, we if we, if we well. say, okay, this, this new CEO is going to fix the culture, is going to turn right. around this little issue with the founder leaving. It's gonna, we know that's going to rattle everybody, but they're going to be able to get it together. And he's going to maintain the great products and the vibe of the stores that everybody loves. Right on. So now we just make the assumption, okay, they're going to keep on rolling. They've had a little problem here. They got a blip. Maybe I got a chance to buy into this thing. They're going to keep on rolling. All right. So now we can do our three methods of valuation. Okay. One, <laughs> the first two need to predict some level of growth. Is this going to take a while? No, okay. I'm just going to just, I'm not going to try to do the numbers. I'm just going to say, this is what I would okay. do next okay. is I would approximate some level of growth that I thought could be sustainable. And then I would also just look at it and say, okay, well, what are the owner earnings and right now? And, um, and what should I pay for those right now? Assuming that they're going to do this well or better in the future. And I would have kind of come to some conclusion there, but at the end of the day, I, I looked at this thing then, and I didn't. I just didn't feel I had enough insight onto why that brand would succeed and not get blown away by Nike, so I didn't jump into it. Mm-hmm. It did look a little bit cheap in 2016, I think. I think so, too, now, because everybody, everybody was having the same thoughts I was. Oh, my God, right. we love the brand, we love the clothes, but we don't know if the new team's going to change that. So, right. okay, so let me just say before we move on to today... I'm going to take from this that I actually don't think I made a mistake. No, I don't think Which you made is a kind mistake. of a big deal because that means that I shouldn't change my process around that. And I've been really debating right. if I should change my process around it. Like, no, there something's were, there were a little unsure, issues. but it's, but it's a brand I love. It's a company I use. It's right. a company I love. It's a company right. with a, a strong new management that could be great. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's these indications of like, maybe I missed that. Maybe I should have caught on to that a little bit or been a little more confident maybe instead of being overly cautious. 
Well, if you want, if you wanted to just take a flyer on it, there's some fun things to do. You could take a little bit of money and buy a that's true uh, a call option. Oh, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> thought I threw your curve I thought there. You were, you were going to say a little bit of money and buy some stock. <laughs> and and the thing that's fun about a call option is you know exactly how much money you're going to lose, and you're probably going to lose it. <laughs> So it's really going to Las Vegas and not investing, but it's a fun gamble. And if you're right, you know, you could make a substantial amount of money. But the problem with call options is you have to be right and you have to be right in the right time frame. And I think if you'd done a call option in in late 2015, early 2016, you would not have been right in the right amount of time. Yeah. Your time would have expired. You would have lost your call option money. And ironically, you would have been right. But you weren't right at the right time. Oh, God, the timing stuff. That would have been horrible. Oh, so terrible. It would have been so horrible oh my gosh. if you'd done it. Right. And and doing the same call option again the second time is much harder because you already lost the first money and and nothing happened. The stock price didn't go anywhere for two years. It just wobbled. And if you'd if you'd bought it at about 60, you know, there may have been a time right in in late 2016 where it went up above and you might have made some money. But if you're trying to really smoke it, you would have held on and you would end up losing. On the other hand, if you bought that same option in November, let's say, of 2018, when the stock was still in the 60s, that would have been really good. <laughs> you would have gone. The stock to went down to the 60s in November 2018? No. Oh, um, it went down to. Let's. On my see. chart, I have it, it at like one twenty. Oh yeah. It's at fifty in May of two thousand seventeen, and in oh sorry, that's two thousand seventeen. Okay. It was November two thousand seventeen. Okay. It was sixty. Yes. So if you did it then, you know, and put five dollars into an option, you know, made you know a fortune. But I don't do those kinds of trades. I'm, I'm not an options trader like that. I, I don't like gambles. Um, I've never been a good gambler. I'm much much too conservative for that. So I wouldn't have, excuse me, I wouldn't have done it that way. Um, I would have done what you did, which is nothing. get a no decision. I just can't, I don't know enough about this to make the decision. And ironically, about the time that I would have started having a lot of confidence in the CEO, he got fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So or resigned with the discipline. or resigned. We don't know. Or resigned, I think, I think he know. technically resigned. So let's be let's be careful about our words. So at the end of the day, you're going to say no to a lot of things that are ultimately going to turn out to have been fabulously great investment ideas, but they weren't investments at the time. They were gambles, and you're going to always be faced with people in your investing career who are going to tell you about the amazing amount of money they made doing X Y Z stock at such 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 a time just like you're going to talk to people who go to las vegas and they just remember all their big wins and they don't remember all Mm -hmm. the rest of the money they lost but if you follow this strategy of being very careful and very conservative and remember you're on a beginner slope and don't try to be on the expert black diamond when you're just starting to learn you're not going to make a mistake of commission your mistakes will be Ah, I could have I could have made turns right there. Mm-hmm. I could have bought that stock, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't. And in this particular case, I don't think you could have. I I, don't, I think you'd have to have a crystal ball. 
uh, to make a to make a All decision. All right. Well, there. that makes me feel a little bit better. I was almost hoping it was a mistake so that I could change something about what I'm doing. <laughs> serious, because um, I feel like I'm running into these a lot, which is maybe maybe a good thing, I guess, that I'm noticing more and more potential investments, but being. I don't know. I just, I'm debating if I'm overly cautious or not. So it sounds like at least on that one, I wasn't overly cautious. You don't I, think? I, I think in the investing world, there's no such thing as overly cautious, honestly, except this one thing. And that is when you know that it's good, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, you, you had all, all kinds of reasons why you weren't sure on that investment. But when you do know it's good, then the mistake is to not invest deeply, not not to not get all in that that's the mistake of caution that mm. um, too many people make and that's very frustrating too so I would, I would strongly urge you not to make that mistake I've definitely made that but, mistake for sure but in order to not make that mistake you have to know you're on a company you understand and, and you like I mean it's uh, you know that's got the moat it's got the management and you're buying at a great margin of safety in order to not mistake in order to not make the mistake of too much caution in the actual investing, you've got to know you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And then you can load up the truck. It's hard. It's hard to know. It's hard to know these things. Well, it's hard in this market, man, I'll tell you. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> this is a very tough market for an investor like us. When you've got a market where Charlie Munger hasn't bought a stock for three years and Warren Buffett's bought one, Mm. I mean, come on, these are the best guys in the world and they will jump on it like a dog on a bone if it's a good marketplace. They will be buying, 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 and they're not buying anything. So feel, feel you're in, you're in good company with your misery right now. I'm going to tell you that. They're buying some stuff. Not much. Not much. All right, so you guys, we are going to be back with a report from Berkshire Hathaway because we're both going. Yeah, we um, are. Which is on May 5th, is that right? Saturday, May 5th, I'm going to say. Yep, no, Saturday, May 4th. And you can watch the Berkshire Hathaway meeting online on Yahoo Finance. And there's a link to it already on the Berkshire Hathaway website under annual meeting if you want to go find that. So that's all day central time on Saturday, May 4th. And we are going to be doing a million things there and record the podcast uh, for Tuesday, May 7th (laughs) Um, and talk about all the things that happened and talk about the meeting. And Danielle is going to be on a panel That's true. at 4.15 at the Hilton Hotel. She'll be up on stage, and um, I'm going to be there watching her talk with uh, a group of really high-powered uh, investors who I think are going to be fun to listen to. So That's true. Check it out if you want to come. Um, it's an afternoon of information about... Uh, women running funds and whether or not women are better than men at running funds and managing money and how women can get more assets under management, which is what I'm going to be talking about specifically. So go to variantperspectives.com, variantperspectives.com if you want tickets and to read about all the other speakers. There's a pretty amazing lineup of women. So it's a real honor to be included there. And yeah, I'm excited that you'll be there, dad. 
and that's May 3rd, guys. That's Friday, May 3rd, before the meeting on Saturday. So May 3rd, 4.15 at the Hilton. Um, and Danielle and probably I will be signing books at Creighton Bookstore. Uh, in that afternoon, before the panel, probably around noonish, but that's a bit, uh, timing is a bit up in the air. Noon one-ish, not and really it's sure. Very, it's a, it's a nice size bookstore, but a small place for people to pack in there. But if you were to show up there and, you know, at least buy a book of something. It's at Creighton University <laughs> at the business school. At Creighton University bookstore. Uh, not the bookstore. It's at the, actually, I don't know where it is. What? It's it's in like the atrium at the business school. Oh, it's up at the yeah, atrium. Yeah, remember that's that right. from last year? Yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah, all we right. we so also signed books around. at every single bookstore in Omaha last year, so I know why you're confused. Yeah, I'm completely confused. <laughs> all right, so we'll be at Creighton University up on the in the student I think it's the student union or something, the hub or the business school or something. I think it's the business school. But you know what? We're gonna get yeah. all of these details nailed down and we're gonna let you guys know about it on the next podcast. I will have an announcement with much better details. So until next time and then Berkshire, it's like, it's like the like holiday of the, it's like New Year's Eve or New Year's day of value investors. Everybody gets together (laughs) and celebrates. What stock for all of us value investing nerds. All right. Thanks everybody. everybody. Glad to know that I'm mistake free. (laughs) That's not actually what you said, but that's obviously how I'm going to take it. Of course you are, because you have such a good teacher. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Speaking of Warren Buffett. All right. Thanks, everybody. Time to go play. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.